0: Which way will you choose? Will you choose this way, or will you choose that way? Back in my home state of North Carolina, there was a little town on the outer banks called Nags Head. I know that uh, a few of you have actually vacationed in that spot, close to where the Wright brothers uh, attempted to fly and set us on that trajectory a little town called Nags Head, and the legend goes that in the 1700s, land pirates would walk up and down the seashore, up and down the sand dunes, and they would hang a lantern over the neck of an old horse, a nag, they called them. And captains in their ships out at sea looking for a safe place to harbor would, of course, look to the shoreline, and what would they see? They would see this bobbing up and down lantern. But little did they know that it was a lantern around the neck of an old nag. And so they would turn, and they would go into what they thought was safe harbor. But of course, that part of the Atlantic coastline is very famous for its rocky shoals, and they would run aground, and the land pirates would move into the waters and loot the ships before they began to sink. And the legend continues to go that even to this day, some of the homes that are built on Nags Head are built out of the timber that was recovered from the ships that ran aground. Have you ever been duped like that? Navigating the realities of life can be extremely challenging, can it not? I need, you need, we all stand in need of wisdom. It is the art of knowing how to live before God, how to live in relationship to one another, and how to live in God's world. It is not raw intellect. It is not a knowing that. Wisdom is a skill, a knowing how to navigate life by connecting the riches of Christ to the realities of our life, applied, reformed theology. That's wisdom. In whatever the circumstance, that's the skill of skills. The book of Proverbs is truth spoken in love. Our Lord and our God giving us a book written to help us grow in this most important skill. Before we look at the text for tonight, let me give you a bit of orientation. The book of Proverbs has two categories in mind in terms of its audience. On the one hand, there is what is called the simple. And the simple is that person who is immature, unformed mind, yet not yet given over to sin, but in danger of becoming its prey. And yet the simple are teachable, and they're open to counsel. So, to these receptive hearts, the book of Proverbs takes special aim. But secondly, there is the category of the wise. That's the seasoned and mature believer, those in whom moral insights and motives have gained a significant foothold. And yet, Since growth in wisdom is a progressive skill, wisdom is set forth in the Proverbs aiming to help the wise excel still more. That's the audience, the simple and the wise. A word about the context. The book begins, chapter 1, verses 1 through 7, with the prologue And the theme is set forth. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And from that point forward to the end of chapter 8, there are a collection of discourses. A father going for a walk with his son, fatherly talks. In fact, you can count them There are ten fatherly talks where a father is about to launch his son into the world and is counseling his son. My son, do not forget my teaching. My son, pay close attention to my words. My son, if you find wisdom, you will have found the best of treasures. A father walking down a path, counseling His Son. And then we come to our text tonight, chapter 9, which is the climactic conclusion of the Father's counsel. And we, the reader, are the Son who is walking along the path, being counseled by the Father. And along the way, We come to a fork in the road. Which way will we choose? This way or that? Proverbs chapter 9. If you have your Bibles with you, I'd invite you to read along with me. Wisdom has built her house. She has hewn her seven pillars. She has slaughtered her beasts. She has mixed her wine. She has also set her table. She has sent out her young women to call from the highest places in the town. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. To him who lacks sense, she says, Come. Eat of my bread, and drink of the wine I have mixed. Leave your simple ways, and live, and walk in the way of insight. Whoever corrects a scoffer gets himself abuse, and he who reproves a wicked man incurs injury. Do not reprove a scoffer, or he will hate you. Reprove a wise man and he will love you. Give instruction to a wise man, and he will be still wiser. Teach a righteous man, and he will increase in learning. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. For by me, your days will be multiplied, and years will be added to your life. If you are wise, you are wise for yourself. If you scoff, you alone will bear it. The woman folly is loud. She is seductive and knows nothing. She sits at the door of her house. She takes a seat on the highest places of the town, calling to those who pass by who are going straight on their way, whoever is simple, let him turn in here. And to him who lacks sense, she says, stolen water is sweet, and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. But he does not know that the dead are there, that her guests are in the depths of Sheol. This is God's Word. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank You that even tonight, You are our Father, and we are Your children, and we go for a walk, and You counsel us. We pray that You would open the ears of our heart, that Your Word would find good soil receptivity, a warm, tender, humble heart that Your Word might take root and bear the fruit of the wisdom that comes from above. We ask that You would do this by the ministry of Your Holy Spirit, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Here's where we're headed. First of all, we'll begin on the outsides of the text, at the start and at the end, and there we find two different encounters. And then secondly, in the middle, verses 7 through 9, we'll consider two different responses. But then finally, close to the very center, Verses 10, 11, and 12, we'll consider the one deciding factor. Let's consider these in turn. First of all, two different encounters at the start and at the end. Verses 1 through 6, on the one hand, there is lady wisdom, on the other hand, at the end. Verses 13 through 18, there is, we might call her, Dame Folly. And what are each of these women like? We get to know them through three sets of contrasts. First of all, consider their preparation. On the one hand, Lady Wisdom. She's creative. She's diligent. She's a hard worker, building a magnificent house, verse 1. She has built her house and hewn her seven pillars. And not only is she diligent in building a magnificent house, but she's also diligent in making a sumptuous meal. Verse 2, she has slaughtered her beasts, she has mixed her wine, and she has set her table. On the other hand, Dame Folly, she's brash. She's ignorant. Verse 13, she's loud. She's seductive. She's full of simpleness. She knows nothing. And not only that, she's lazy, indolent. She sits. And that's all she does. She sits at the door of her house. She's a do nothing. What a contrast. But secondly, notice the difference between their invitations. It's the same in content whoever is simple, let him turn in here. It's the same invitation in terms of its content, verse 4. And verse 16, but it's very different in its intent. Note the different elaborations of the same worded invitations. On the one hand, Lady Wisdom, her menu is genuine. It's very straightforward. Come, eat of my bread and drink the wine I have mixed, verse 5. Now contrast that with Dame Folly. Her menu is shady, suspicious, seductive. Stolen water is sweet, verse 17. It has the overtones of of adultery, verse 17 as well. Bread eaten in secret is pleasant. It has the religious overtones of idolatry, of secretly eating the forbidden meal. And you get the sense, don't you, that she's already had a few drinks. Whoever is simple, turn in here. What a contrast between the preparations, the invitations, and thirdly, their objectives. Lady Wisdom, her agenda is revealed in very plain spoken words, command, promise. Verse 6, leave your simple ways and live. Contrast that with Dame Folly. Her agenda is concealed. In unspoken words, verse 18, He does not know that the dead are there, that her guests are in the depths of Sheol. In 1977, I was 14 years old, and this will show my age. But some of you may remember that in that year, a band called The Eagles released a song called Hotel California. And at the very beginning, the song goes, There She Stood in the Doorway, I heard the mission bell. And I was thinking to myself, This could be heaven or this could be hell. Then she lit up a candle, and she showed me the way. There were voices down the corridor I thought I heard them say. Welcome to the Hotel California. Such a lovely place. Such a lovely place. Plenty of room at the Hotel California. Any time of year, any time of year, you can find it here. But then the song ominously closes, as does our text. Last thing I remember, I was running for the door. I had to find the passage back to the place I was before. Relax, said the night man. We are programmed to receive. You can check out any time you like, but you can never leave. David Hubbard, very skillful and insightful scholar, comments on this text. You can find Dame Folly's guest list by reading the daily obituaries. What appears to be a portal to pleasure is the corridor to hell, bluntly but truly put, Her past guests are now ghosts. It is so easy, is it not, to get tripped up and trapped by believing and giving ourselves to the voice, the counsel of Dame Folly. Instead of that most wonderful counselor, Lady Wisdom. I want to give you a couple of opportunities for those of you who often get tripped up and trapped like me, a couple of things that I would invite you to consider. First, a short-term opportunity. This summer I've been approached by a couple of folks who have recognized that they so easily get trapped up in the problem of addiction. And so we're going to get together and we're going to study a resource called Crossroads, a step-by-step guide away from addictions. It's written by one of my professors, Ed Welch, based on his book, Addiction, A Banquet in the Grave, based on this text. If you would like to take part, shoot me an email and say, I'm interested, and I'll follow up, and we're going to get together. Men together who are going to be looking at ways that they get easily tripped up and trapped. So consider that prayerfully. But secondly, and I'm really excited about this, later this fall, we've been telling you about the Christian Counseling and Educational Foundation's National Conference this year at the end of September, first weekend in October. Hershey, Pennsylvania, we're going to take a group to the conference. This year's theme is the way of wisdom as we unpack the Old Testament wisdom literature. And this is much broader than issues of addiction. This is everyday life. This is how to navigate relationships. This is how to live wisely. It is so difficult to navigate, but there's hope, and this conference will help us grow in connecting the riches of Christ's wisdom to the realities of the daily pressures, problems, troubles, struggles that you and I face. If you're interested, let me know. A group of us got together last Sunday, and already people are beginning to want more information, so I envision Having another such meeting to inform. So, a couple of practical opportunities as we consider these two very different encounters. But here's a question What do these two women signify? What's the meaning behind the metaphor? Trimper Longman. Old Testament scholar has been especially helpful to me in this regard. The key that unlocks the meaning of the metaphor is the location of the houses that these women occupy. Did you notice, verse 3, Lady Wisdom calls from the highest places in the town. And in verse 14, Dame Folly takes her seat on the highest places of the town. In the ancient Near East, the highest point of the city was the home of the gods. And so, it's speaking of the location of the true temple as over against the false. On the one hand, the true and living God is revealed to Israel, and he instructs them to build his temple on Mount Zion. But on the other hand, the make believe God, Baal, the fertility God, the God believed to make your garden grow, to send rain in a drought, he was thought to live on Mount Zaphon. So the choice then for the reader, imagine that you belong to a people who has been delivered from Egypt to the land of the living through the Red Sea, and you're settling in, but you begin to face a drought, and you're at a fork in the road. Will you listen to Lady Wisdom, a poetic personification? of the true and living God who counsels you and says, trust me, because embracing her leads to life? Or will you listen to Dame Folly, a poetic personification of the false gods of the nations who counsel you? Trust me. Obey me. Obracing, embracing her leads to life to death. Which will you choose, this way or that? But of course, we don't live in that day, do we? Follow the thread of wisdom from the book of Proverbs into the New Testament, where it flowers. And we find that wisdom comes to full expression in the person and work of our Lord Jesus. Isaiah the prophet, standing on tiptoe, looking down the corridors of time, can see the one coming. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit, and the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of Wisdom." And understanding the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord, and His delight shall be in the fear of the Lord, Isaiah chapter 11. And then you pick up the gospel of Luke, and you're in the early chapters, and He signals that the promise is coming to fulfillment, and Jesus the child grew and became strong. And the favor of God was upon him. And you recall that he's in the temple, and he's sitting around the teachers asking questions. And all who heard him, Luke reports, were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And he says to his parents, Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? And Luke comments again to underscore the point. Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature, and in favor with God and man. Jesus Himself interpreted His identity and activity through the lens of wisdom. Recall to the unbelieving crowds, He rebuked, the Queen of the South will rise up at the judgment with the men of this generation and condemn them, for she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon, and behold, something greater than Solomon is here. And to His critics who sized Him up wrongly, Jesus said, the Son of Man came eating and drinking and they say, look at Him, a glutton and a drunkard and a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet, wisdom is justified by her deeds. The Apostle Paul likewise understands the person and work of Jesus through the lens of wisdom, our call to worship. Christ Jesus has become for us wisdom from God. Colossians chapter 2, in Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And so tonight, I face, you face, we all face a fork in the road. Jesus is the beckoning figure of wisdom. To embrace lady wisdom is nothing less than to embrace Jesus Christ. Dining with Jesus leads to life, but we pursue idols. And every idol, anything we exalt into the place of our Lord Jesus Christ that we live for, that we give our heart to, every idol is the beguiling figure of folly. To embrace dame folly is to embrace the devil. Dining with the devil leads to death. So the message tonight, which will you choose, this way or that? Those are the two encounters. Secondly, we move into two different responses. Now, here's an important question. How can we know whether we are living under the influence of Lady Wisdom or living under the spell of Dame Folly? One way we can know is by the way that we respond to correction. You will image your master. The fruit of your lips will reveal the root in your heart. The horizontal reaction will reveal your vertical allegiance, whether to the Lord or to some alternative to him. Notice the shift that takes place in verses 7, 8, and 9. No longer are the two women bidding for the heart of the young man passing by. Now we hear only the voice of Lady Wisdom, the wonderful counselor, training us to be would-be counselors. And notice the two lessons. First of all, verse 7. Beware the stubbornness of an unteachable fool. On the one hand, there is the wise, the humble, the soft-hearted, the receptive, the teachable. But on the other hand, there is the scoffer, the proud, the hard-hearted, the unreceptive, the unteachable, the self-exalting the person who is wise in his own eyes. And notice what the text says, Whoever corrects a scoffer gets himself abuse, and he who reproves a wicked man incurs injury. So strong is the alliance between Dame Folly and all of her disciples that her disciples are literally in the spitting image of Dame Folly. Commentator puts it this way the arrows of instruction seem to bounce off their target and ricochet to strike the one who launched them. Has that ever happened to you? Where you you reach out to try to help a person trapped in folly and you get your hand slashed in the effort? Many years ago, I didn't realize people like this existed. And, you know, I'm from the South, and we try to be nice and cordial and get along with everybody, right? And, you know, I was able to do that for the most part, but I finally met my match. There was a person that no matter what I did, it was always my fault. And I would walk away from these conversations, and I would think to myself, maybe I just... Maybe I wasn't clear enough. Uh, maybe, maybe if I come at it this way, then surely he'll see the point. And so I would try and try and try again. But no matter what I did, it always ricocheted back in my face. I was the problem, so this person kept on asserting And the writer is is seeking to, to grow us in wisdom. Beware the stubbornness of an unteachable fool. But there's a second lesson. Learn to discern the difference between the wise and the scoffer and choose your pupils carefully. Again, David Hubbard very helpful in this respect. Trying to coax one who mocks truth, morality, and wisdom to change his ways will only intensify his ire and turn him completely against you. Your efforts will only add insult to injury. Spite will be the tuition paid for your services. Better, by far, to spend your energies on the teachable. Even if you show them where they are wrong, they will shower you with appreciation and esteem. So open are the wise and righteous that they take in instruction like nutrition and become stronger and stronger by it. That's your pupil. Your pupil. Choose them carefully. Are they responsive? I wrote about this a few weeks ago in one of the pastor's posts. I shared how in 1995 my wife Cindy and I were in Fort Collins, Colorado gathered with thousands of campus ministry staff and In uh, one segment of the conference, we had the pleasure of listening to a message delivered by Nancy DeMoss, now Nancy DeMoss Walglamath, respected Christian author, host of Revive Our Hearts Radio. And I shared with you a list of differences, her list of differences between discerning between the proud, unbroken person and the humble, broken person person, a helpful diagnostic. Let me just share a few of those once more. The proud, unbroken person focuses on the failures of others. The broken person is overwhelmed with her spiritual need. The proud, unbroken person has a critical, fault-finding spirit. The broken person is compassionate and looks for the best in others. The proud, unbroken person looks down on others. Their eyes are raised too high. They're looking down. But the broken person esteems others as better than themselves. The proud, unbroken person are independent and have a self-sufficient spirit, but the broken person has a dependent spirit and recognizes the needs of others. A proud, unbroken person maintains control and must have their way, but the broken person, the humble person, the wise person, surrenders his control. The proud, unbroken person have to prove that they are right, but the humble, broken person is willing to yield her right to be heard. The proud unbroken person has a demanding spirit, but the broken person has a giving spirit. The proud unbroken person has a desire to be served, but the broken person desires to serve others. The proud unbroken person desires for self-advancement, but the broken person desires to serve others. The proud unbroken person is wounded when others are promoted, but the broken person rejoices when others are lifted up. The proud, unbroken person feels confident in how much he knows, but the broken, humble person are humbled by how much they have to learn. The proud, unbroken person is unapproachable But the humble, broken person is very easy to be entreated. And we could go on and on. The proud, unbroken person does not think that they need revival, but they do think that everybody else does, whereas the broken, humble person senses their need for a fresh encounter with the Holy Spirit. Which way will we choose? This way or that? We've looked at two encounters, very different. We've looked at two responses, very different. Finally, let's close with the deciding, the one deciding factor. Notice in verses 10 through 12, what exactly makes the difference? We have a father walking his son in giving Him counsel. Son, both Lady Wisdom and Dame Folly bid for your heart. And son, you must choose wisely. I love you, and this is why I'm speaking this truth to you in love. But the challenge, discerning and choosing between these competing voices is often so difficult to make. We've looked at how they speak from the same location, how they set forth a meal to entice relationship. That's what the meal is about, relationship. And both speak the same invitation, whoever is simple, let him turn in here. And so, it takes wisdom and insight to discern Between the two, and choose what is true. The waters of seduction in this world are so difficult to navigate. How do we decide against Dame Folly and for Lady Wisdom? Whence comes this wisdom and insight? Verse 10 the controlling cause, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. What is that? The fear of the Lord. It is an attitude of the heart that recognizes God as having ultimate authority and being willingly to submit gladly in reverence. And since the Bible is God's written word to us, the fear of the Lord is to trust and obey what He says. But how is it the beginning of wisdom? Well, it's not as if it's the first rung in a series of steps on a ladder. That's not the intent. But it's in the way that a pair of eyeglasses controls a person's view of the world. C.S. Lewis once wrote, I believe in Christianity as I believe the sun has risen, not because I see it, but because by it I see everything else. It's the fundamental presupposition. It's the beginning of wisdom in that way. It controls my gaze. The fear of the Lord is the foremost essential controlling factor. It's the A to Z and everything in between. And the flourishing effect, verse 11, for by me your days will be multiplied and your years will be added to your life. And notice this concluding divide. Final words spoken firmly but lovingly to clarify the fork in the road verse 12 if you are wise you are wise for yourself you personally will reap the blessings but if you scoff you alone will bear it you will personally shoulder the cursings do you see it's the story of three trees. In the center, on the cross, Christ crucified for His people. The one who might look like folly, but the one who in fact is wisdom from God. And on the left side, there's the thief who scoffed. Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But look closely to the thief on the right. He's under the influence of Lady Wisdom. He says to the thief, Do you not fear God? We are receiving the due reward of our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. And then he bows before Jesus, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, truly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. What about you? Which way will you choose? Will it be this way or that? Let's pray. What a good, good father to invite us for a walk. A royal father walking down the path with his royal sons and daughters, speaking truth in love in order that we might live and not die. Holy Spirit of wisdom, we pray that You would grow us up into this skill of skills, that Harvest Church would be known for her wisdom, the wisdom that comes down from above, that we might be receptive and humble and learn in very timely, tailored ways to connect Your riches to our very complicated realities. Would You help us? And as we, one conversation at a time, skillfully, lovingly listen and speak wisdom, that Your gospel would advance, that Your name would be honored and that Your people would be blessed. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I invite you to stand with me as we conclude our worship. What a vision worth pursuing. Let's stand together and let's close by singing Be Thou My Vision. God of peace, who, through the blood of the eternal covenant, brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus Christ, that great shepherd of the sheep, may He equip you with everything good to do His will, working in us what is pleasing in His sight through Jesus, to whom belongs glory forever and ever. Amen.